had a wonderful time in prayer this morning. This is uh, the first time in our lives that Karen and I have not had a Father's Day card to send. It was a little, little poignant for us, you know, now that our fathers have both passed away. And uh, I was praying, not really so much about that, but kind of in, in that place. And, uh, you know, the Lord just spoke to my heart. And he said, remember, I'm your dad. So I just wished him a happy Father's Day. Just wish God a happy Father's Day. Just play. He's your father, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to be talking about taking Babylon today. The concept in this seven-part series has been to equip you for battle. That we are engaged in a battle as the body of Christ. The Bible says that Jesus, the Son of God, came to destroy the works of the devil. And we are the body of Christ. And so that is our mission, is to be engaged in the battle against the enemy. And you guys are there. You're ready. You understand that Babylon, by now, you understand that Babylon is the biblical symbolical, symbolic seat of power for Satan. And so in taking Babylon, we're saying, we're ready for battle, Lord, to press forward. We've discovered in this series that the stakes are eternally high. That this isn't just something we can choose to do or not to do without someone suffering. That if we fight, people are saved. If we don't, people are lost. The stakes are high. We also need to know, as we conclude this series this morning, that the victory is already ours. That Jesus won the victory. Jesus conquered sin and death. And it is ours then, as the church, to be engaged with Him in the Word of God, in the power of the Holy Spirit, to uh, claim that victory. Well, today I'd like for us to conclude the series with uh, a message I want to call Locking Our Shields. Forgive me in advance for reading much of the message today. Uh, uh, just, just kind of where I am in the week. <laughs> and, and in doing so, I think it be, might be a little less jazzy than you're used to. But uh, also, it will uh, minimize my chance of making so many irresponsible comments along the way. So we'll just take what we get, right? Locking our shields. Locking our shields. This is a concept we visited very briefly a few years back. But it's one that's so essential to God's revealed plan for the church that we we really have to return to it again. The Bible clearly says that the church of Jesus Christ is meant to be a single, a single organism of unity and love. It is not a collection of individuals. It is a single organism of unity and love. It's meant to be a fellowship of profound love for one another and an army in which everyone has one another's backs. Did you hear that? That is the revealed mission of the church. This concept of being one unit is is well illustrated in an ancient Greek military tactic called the phalanx. And the phalanx was a tightly grouped formation of soldiers who moved together as one unit. And their shields were positioned in such a way so that they slightly overlapped with one another so to the man next to them so that they they became one mighty force moving against the enemy. Can you picture it? If not, look at the screen. you get it. <laughs> if you ever saw what I consider to be the very strange movie 300, you may remember the scene in which the phalanx of soldiers was used effectively against their enemy. I thought that was a very cool scene. And if you've ever left a crowded concert, you may have experienced you know, the feeling of being a part of a sea of humanity, haven't you? And little steps with people that you don't know. 
and you figured out how to do that. Well, this is the perfect picture of the church of Jesus Christ. The Bible says clearly there's only one church. There's only one church. There's only one church. And that each one of us, the Bible says, is a part of it. But we are not an isolated part of it where we can come and go as we please. This is, this is not within the scope of our free will as believers. When we come to Christ and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus... We are not free to go wherever we want just because we think we like the show over there better. God has a plan for your life. God has a fellowship for you to be a part of, to lock shields in and be a part of that. We are an integral part of the body of Christ, and we're meant to be attached to one another in love and in unity and engaged in our position of battle next to the person next to us according to our spiritual gifting. This is the plan for the church. And this is an essential element in taking Babylon. Being the church locked together. In John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus said, A new command I give you. Read it with me. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Like, I'd like for you to notice a couple things about these words from Jesus. First, notice that the very specific call of God on us as the church is that we love one another. So much, so much would we love one another that that would become the distinguishing mark that we belong to Christ. By this, shall all men know that you are my disciples. If what? If you love one another. This is the single distinguishing mark. Not how religious we may or may not be, right? Not how thick our Bible or well-underlined our Bible is, huh? Not whether we wear a big cross around our neck. You do as you please in those regards. But listen, the distinguishing mark of whether or not we belong to Christ is that we love one another. That's it. Jesus couldn't have been more clear. And that's exactly how the early church started out. Have you started in the book of Acts, anyone? In the book of Acts is marked by descriptions of radical love that the believers had for one another. Have you seen that? And that same church was also marked by what? By radical expressions of the miraculous power of God in their midst. Don't miss that connection. You have to notice the connection between God's faith between the church's faithfulness to God's command to love one another and their enjoyment of his power and effectiveness in fighting the battle. Some of you have read church history. Some of you were in Pastor Tony's excellent class on church history not that long ago. And if you read church history, you will see that the witness of the power of God in the midst of the church was diminished as the church became more organized. As the church became more organized, the expression of the power of God diminished. By the 4th century... Constantine Constantine effectively made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire with the issuing of the Edict of Milan in 313. And he traded in, really, at that point the church traded in its birthright as an agent of the power of God for a mess of pottage called empty religion. And we've been trying to recover from it ever since. The church had evolved from being a fellowship of love for one another and the power of God into an organization of ritual and politics. 
It's sad. So the first thing I want you to think about is that as the, church, as the church returns to responding in faithfulness to God's call for us to truly love one another, then if we'll do that, listen, beloved, if we will figure out how to love one another, we will see the return of the expression of God's radical power in our midst. That's the first thing I want you to think about. In practical terms, what that means is that as the people of the American culture continue to come to church as individual consumers without making consistent efforts to become engaged and remain engaged in relationships of true fellowship and Christian love, that then they actually, by doing that, by resisting that, they actually inhibit the expression of God's power among us. But the good news is that it's not too late. The good news is that as we become committed to developing the loving relationships of Christian fellowship, then we reverse that calamity and we contribute to the opening of the flow of God's power among us. Get that, please. The second thing I want you to notice in this verse is how Jesus said a new command I give you, love one another. A new command. Say command. Very important word. Very important part of this. And I think this is one of the rare cases, actually, where the New International Version, which is my favorite version of the Bible, actually does a better job of rendering the text than the New American Standard, which is usually a better translation, but a little more difficult for some people to read. Because I think in the New American Standard, LaRue, it says commandment, right? What? Okay. <laughs> she came over to the dark side, to the NIV. Our, our beloved friend, Pastor Stephen, used to call the NIV newly invented verses. <laughs> ay, 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 ay. The, the New American Standard says commandment. I think the King James says commandment. And I think that this is a one case where the NIV, in rendering this word command, has actually done a better job, okay? A new, a new command I give you, love one another. Because I think the difference between a command and a commandment is important. Think about this. The Ten Commandments, for example, are abiding moral directives from God to the people of Israel, and then in a somewhat different way, to the church. But those, those commandments, they're always there, aren't they? The commandments are what kind of hover over us and live in us and we want to bring it to every situation of our lives so the commandments if you will that's sort of the big picture a command however by by contrast is more specific a command is the way of applying a commandment to a particular situation so we want to live out the commandments do we not but we want to live in careful listening to the Lord with his command as to how it is that we live that out in any given situation. While a commandment may be, thou shalt not commit adultery. Have you got to that one yet? That's a commandment. A specific command of Jesus to apply that is do not look at a woman with lust in your heart. You see the difference? The commandment is there. It's looming. It's big. And Jesus said, here's, here's one of the ways... That you, you, you men in particular, he said, can apply that commandment. Do not look at a woman with lust in your heart. So it's a more specific application 
of the commandment. And, that's, and I, I just want to make that development that that's a command. In the military, it's commonly agreed that in battle, you never leave a man behind. And that could be thought of, in a sense, as a commandment. That's living over the whole thing, correct? But a command, by contrast, may be a lieutenant calling out in the heat of a battle for one particular soldier to go out into the line of fire and get that other soldier who's lying there wounded. That's a command of the commandment. Does that make sense to you? Okay, let's bring it back to our scripture. The rendering of Jesus' words, a new command, I give you, love one another, is important. Because, because it's military. It's part of the battle. It's not something that's just looming over. But he said, now I command you to love one another. How? As I've loved you. Ouch. Sacrificially, unconditionally, love one another. As I've loved you. He said, so this is the command. Jesus' words for us to love one another and to move together as one unified force is part of his specific military command for us to be effective in battle. And I fear what's happening in the American culture is we've become so isolated and so consumer-oriented that we think that's kind of optional. Like, well, how involved do I choose to be in that fellowship? You don't have a choice. You don't have a choice. These are your people. You're stuck with them and we're stuck with you. You don't have a choice. And and the way the church in general presents, markets itself to culture today is, oh, well, come to the service because that's kind of the main thing where we worship God and hear the word. But if you're kind of a second miler, you can get into one of these stare at each other groups or something or, you know, get, get in one of these groups where you share your hearts. But that's kind of for the next level. It's not the next level. There's no version of the church that does not have us loving each other in each other's worlds. There's no version of the church in the Bible that has us pulling up to our favorite parking lot on a Sunday morning and then going out and living out best we can. You are stuck with it. You have been called to this place. You are not here by accident. Whether you like it or not, you are stuck here because you are called here. And Jesus said, a command I give you, love one another. We are not permitted to come and go as we please or to turn our, eye, turn our head away from another. Love one another. This is part of the command. As we learn to love one another, then the power of God increases among us. And the battle to take Babylon then moves forward. This is a military tactic. It's a command. Now we have recently been witnesses to a greater release of God's power here in response to our what? Passionate praise to him. Have we not? And we're sticking on that. We have seen greater expressions, exponentially, I think, uh, and we will see exponentially greater expressions of his power if we can ever figure out how to truly love one another as Jesus has commanded us. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. But if we can ever get there, Buckle up. Buckle up. This is the command of Christ. The military command. You're in the battle, right? Don't you want to hear commands from the commander? Don't you want to hear commands from the commander? You say, let's go to battle, Tom. Let's do this. Let's quit bit and push around. You've joined me in battle. Well, here is the clear command of the Lord. Love one another. It couldn't be any clearer. It's not an option. It's not a choice. It's a command from the Lord. 
That's how we move as that one unit. We learn to love one another. Overlap our shields with one another. You might not even like the person next to you. We'll get to that in a minute. doesn't say, this is my command, that you like one another, does it? He never said that. We'll get there. Just give me a minute, all right? I guess the question, lingering question, is what does it really mean to love one another? How do we go about transitioning from being culturally conditioned to be isolated consumers of religion? How do we go from that to being this unified phalanx of believers with our shields of faith locked together in love? What does it really mean to love one another? Well, I want to just start with a real quick, what does it mean not to love one another? Well, I think three quick things. First, it does not mean that everything will always be soft and mushy. People get discouraged with the church sometimes because they have their feelings hurt. You ever had your feelings hurt at work? Raise your hand if you ever had your feelings hurt at work. Did you quit over it? Probably not. I need the money, right? People get their feelings hurt in church as though it's not supposed to happen. Trouble with church is that you're here. You see, you know what I'm saying? The trouble with church is that I'm here. And we're imperfect. And so it's never going to be all soft and mushy and perfect. And I, I think a person who says, well, that church is no good because it's not always soft and mushy, I don't know what Bible they've been reading. Do you know how much of the New Testament is devoted to repairing broken relationships? Hello? You know, the church is referred to by Jesus two times, and both times it was in the context of conflict. So it does not mean that everything's always going to be soft and mushy. Second, and this is a hard one for me, is it doesn't mean that everybody always wants a hug from you. Some of you guys out there going, amen to that, man. If you come at me one more time, I'm going to pop you. I don't know what it is about me. I want to get my arms around you. I love you. And I, I realize that that's not how everybody's wired doesn't stop me from doing it, but I try to respect that. But, you know, it's not, we're different, aren't we? And we have to respect our, our abilities to be different. But it also means that we, it does not mean that we'll always like everyone equally. This is so important to get so much confusion in the church about that. Oh, I don't think they like me. Well, maybe they don't. So what? They love you. Why do people like each other? Because they have common interests. Because they laugh at the same things. Maybe they're close to the same age, you know. So everybody isn't going to like each other equally, right? Right? I mean, can't we not just deal with that? I mean, I like Todd Case. We're buds, man. I like him. I can hang with him. Dennis, not so much, you know. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's, he's okay. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> I like Dennis. Okay, let me just... I think he could take it. That's why I picked on him. You know what I'm saying? It's okay. Now, here's a better part of this. Are you ready? It's okay not to be liked by everybody. Some of you are living your lives trying to get everybody's approval. And you just lay your head down when there's some indication that somebody doesn't like you. Well, you know... Just do what my daughter used to say to her brothers. I've told you this before. She used to flip her little ponytail and she said, I'm sorry you feel that way. You're lost, right? But you still got to love each other. You got to love each other. We got to love each other. 
But it's okay if we're not each other's BFF. All right? I mean, best, that's a singular. There's going to be one best, right? Okay, well, what does it mean to love one another? Well, here's an unfair summary because it's so short, but it's the broad strokes. I think you'll be able to fill in the blanks. And what it means, first of all, is that we will actively work to meet the true needs of your life. That's what the first century church did. They actively loved one another by meeting the true needs, hold on to true needs, of your life. This was the unmistakable mark of the early church. It said, no one considered anything was their own, but selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as they had. Does anybody know what that? Need, 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 need. Let's be real careful here before you get your feelings hurt. Because listen to me, you ready? Your car payment is not our need. Your cell phone bill is not a need. Your cable bill is not a need. All right? Your food is a need. Your shelter is a need. You've got to get a hold of something, church. Saying we love each other does not mean that everyone will have the same amount of stuff. That's not Christianity, that's communism. We live, we live, we live in a democratic, free enterprise system. And you are entitled to go out there and earn as much as you can, as much as you're willing to work for. You're willing, you're, you're gotta, you have every right to go out and do that. All right? Go do it. Go do it. Now, don't get caught up in it that it costs you your relationship with God. But you go live in this world. This is the world God puts you in. You go live in it. But the Bible says that once you've got a handful you can't, have an, you can't have a closed hand. It's got to be an open hand. You've got to hold it with an open hand. So if somebody has a need, a true need, you're there for them. The Bible says there should be no needy persons among you. Oh, you got that? Pile up your stuff. But don't protect it. Don't protect it. Don't build a fence around it. Put a sign. If you have a need, I'm going to give that to you. You can have that if it's a need. Does that make sense? We're going to have different amounts of stuff based on the way our culture responds to us economically. But we've got to meet one another's need. No one should be hungry. No one should be homeless among us. Okay. Second, I think what it means to love one another is that we are quick to forgive one another and ready to be reconciled. This is a big part of love, that we are quick to forgive one another and ready to be reconciled. Now, there's an important difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness requires one person. Reconciliation requires both. Did you hear that? The Bible says that we are called to forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. So that's, that's done. That's immediate. We will sin against one another. Doggone it. Not on purpose, I hope. But it'll happen. We will offend one another. It will happen. And the Bible says that love, what love does, what love does is immediately forgives. Immediately forgives. Immediately forgives. It doesn't hold that sin against them. And that's always in your, that's always in your charge. You can always forgive. You can always forgive. And to the extent that we fail to forgive, we hold that charge against them. We also keep ourselves locked in that prison of unforgiveness. And it's tough. Some of you have been in some wicked, tough places 
but your liberty is in forgiving them. Forgiving them. Does that mean that what they did is all right? Of course not. Is what you did to God all right? Of course not, but you're forgiven, right? So it means to, to be quick to forgive, to be immediate to forgive. And then the second end, it, it, to be willing, ready to be reconciled. Now, not everybody you forgive wants to be reconciled with you. Have you noticed that? You can't make them. Don't make your life miserable by trying to force them to be reconciled to you. Forgive them, release them, and be ready to be reconciled if the opportunity for reconciliation occurs. Does that make sense? You can't make everybody be reconciled to you. Some people are, they're they're not going to forgive you, so they're holding something again. You can't control that. There's only one person you can control. Who is that? It's you. It's you. So I think loving each other means being ready to forgive or quick to forgive, immediate to forgive, and ready to be reconciled. And then third, I think that loving each other means that we'll always be there for you in the day of trouble. We'll always be there for you in the day of trouble. One of the tragedies of a church of our size is that since not everyone is engaged in relationship, people go through seasons of trouble, and we don't know. We can't be there if we don't know. I promise you this, that if we know, if we know, we're there. We got people there. We got an army of people there. I was visiting our dear brother Paul Watson Friday, sitting in his room there with him. And many of you know Paul. He's been a part of our church for 20 years, very gravely ill. And he's been talking. Every time I visit him, he talks about how amazing the church has been to him in this time. How amazing it has been. The church in general, people from the church coming, supporting him, loving him, caring for him. And then he goes another level and he said, what's really been amazing is my home group. This is an indication that there's love. We are praying for his healing. I told him again, I will pray for your healing, brother. As long as you're drawing breath, I'm praying for your healing. No. But listen, what's bigger than that, what's bigger than that is the way he testified to his 20 years of giving himself to relationship with other people in this church, how he is now the grateful recipient of knowing that they love him by being there with him in his day of trouble. That's what love is. Doesn't always feel all soft and mushy, does it? Well, I have uh, six very important words for you. They are love costs, love hurts, and love wins. Love love is going to cost you. (laughs) If it's not costing you, you love your kids? Pretty freaking expensive entities, aren't they? Love costs. Love hurts. You ever have one of your kids hurt you? Sure, yeah. You've hurt them too. But love always wins. Love always wins. Jesus said three things that remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love, he said. He said that through Paul. It has been horrifically but perhaps accurately said that the church is the only army that kills its own wounded. This has to stop. This has to stop. 
Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's time to reverse that trend and lock our shields. Because in every place that our shields are not locked, then the church is exposed. In every place that we rationalize in our mind why I do not have to forgive that person or why I'm not willing to be reconciled to that person if they're willing to be reconciled. In every place that we substantiate that sin, we open up a gap in the armor. So this struggle that some of you have right now about forgiveness and unforgiveness, it's not just about you. It's about us. It's about the strength of the church of Jesus Christ. We've got to love one another. It's a command from the Lord. I'd like to just do just a couple of minutes of ministry with you right where you are there now. If you like, you can bow your heads if that's helpful to you to kind of shut out the world. I'd like you to think about yourself for a minute and, and uh, let's just begin with your capacity for loving others. And You know, maybe you grew up in a loving home or you were taught how to do that in some ways or shown. Maybe you weren't, maybe you aren't, but you're here now. And you hear this word and you want to be faithful to the command of the Lord. And I just want you just to have a moment of prayer and just say, Lord, I, I do want to be one who loves. I do want to be a person who loves. Even from the place of my own personality, the way I'm wired, I want to be a person that you see. You look at me and you say, there's one, there's one of my soldiers who knows how to love. And just say that to the Lord. Just start there. Thank you, Lord. And then maybe you could just ask him to show you anything, you know, some conditioning that you have that causes you to resist love or some hurt or trauma that you've experienced that keeps you from being able to love. Invite him to come in and deal with that. Just deal with that. Just say to him, Lord, I, I want to love, but I find it hard to be fully faithful to this command. And then maybe you could ask the Lord to reveal to you anybody that you need to forgive. You need to just forgive them. He taught us to pray, didn't he? Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Maybe there's somebody he could bring to mind and it doesn't have to get all crazy emotional for you but maybe he'll just bring him to mind her to mind and, and you just say I, I, Lord I, I need you to give me the capacity to forgive them be released from this this judgment that I have it doesn't mean you open your arms to them and take them back just the way they were and stuff like that that's not what forgiveness is but you're willing to release judgment from them release judgment I forgive them, Lord. I forgive them. Come, Lord. Come and make us lovers. People who love you. People who receive your love. And people whose weaponry of love is always loaded and ready to be poured out on others, Lord. We want to win this battle, Lord, and this is your command. There's no mistake. So we will not rationalize it. We will not explain it away. We will just hear it. This is my command. Love one another. So I have loved you, so you must love one another. 
all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. I invite you to come now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we'd like to, uh, I'd like to just conclude our time and our series with a commitment, a response to the Lord. Because even though this series is completed, the battle isn't over. This is boot camp. Make sure you get that, that even though I feel led to move on to a passage that, from Scripture next week that Tony and I are going to begin to unfold, um, the battle isn't over. You just finished boot camp. And I remember going to my son Brian over there, his boot camp graduation so many years ago, and just being so proud of him. It's hard to pick him out. All those faces looked exactly alike in those hats and uniforms. I think that's him right there, honey. And I'm so proud of him. And I'm proud of you for completing this training. For this, But this is just basic training. This is just basic. You're not done. And so the battle isn't over. And we're not going to stop fighting it on your behalf. Um, but I just want to give you an opportunity to sign up in a, in a way of response to the Lord in an old hymn of the church called Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus, okay? Mm-hmm.